0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. We're in the middle of a series of podcasts following up on a message I delivered at the seminary in late August about the declining baptismal rate among Southern Baptist churches. Now the declining baptismal rate is actually uh, emblematic of a diminishing effectiveness in sharing the gospel and leading people to profess faith in Jesus. We are facing a steep decline in our effectiveness. In fact, uh, the chart shows that uh, from the year 2000 through 2017 or 18, we've been in a free fall. And in fact, we baptized about the same number of people last year as we baptized in the mid-1940s. We have reached a 70-year low in our baptismal rates. Now, uh, in the in the larger message uh, that I delivered back in late August, I talked about 10 factors which are contributing to this decline in personal evangelism, and quite honestly, I've been really pleased with the reception of the message. It's been it's passed around to a lot of different people, a lot of different places. I was on the phone yesterday with someone on the East Coast, and they said that uh, they had actually received a copy of the message, had uh, listened to it, were using it with their staff, uh, using it in an organization they also work with. And so it's encouraging to me that I've identified at least some factors that are uh, resonating out there across the country with the issue of what we can do to turn around the evangelistic decline. So in these podcasts, I'm actually going back and lifting out each of those 10 factors and talking about them, each one in more detail. So today, I want to talk about factor number five, and that is a lack of commitment to training personal evangelists. Now, as I've been doing on the other podcasts, let me read uh, the part of the message that was the original statement that I made about this issue, and then I want to expand it in some significant ways. Three decades ago, many Southern Baptist churches had an organized program supported by denominational resources to train people as personal evangelists. Churches with those programs are rare today. The failure to sustain evangelism training is another reason for our declining effectiveness in sharing the gospel. As a young pastor, my evangelism strategy was twofold personally witness to as many people as possible and preach harsh sermons motivating church members to share the gospel. After one particularly abusive sermon, Keith confronted me. He was one of my best church members and supportive friends, so his words stung deeply. Keith said, Don't ever do that to me again. Don't preach at me about something you have never trained me to do. After a few days of reflection, I revised my strategy. Over the next few months, I implemented one of the personal evangelism training programs supported by the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a 13-week process that involved memorizing scriptures in a gospel presentation, learning pertinent illustrations, role-playing, and weekly evangelistic visits. Keith and another member, Tammy, were my first trainees. After the first semester, all three of us recruited two people to train the following semester, and so it went on for three years. In February 1989, I was away from the church taking doctoral seminars. I flew home each Saturday, preached on Sunday, and flew back to the seminary on Monday morning. On the four Sundays in February 1989, our church had 22 adults present themselves for baptism. All of them had been led to faith in Jesus by a church member who had completed the training program, none by me. God showed me trained people could reach more people when I was out of town than I could reach by trying to do it all on my own. By the way, Keith is here this morning, the day I delivered the message, and Dr. Dr. Keith Goking is now chairman of our board of trustees. We will not invigorate personal evangelism by just preaching more about it or cajoling people to do better. Except in rare cases, most Christians do what they have been trained to do. To create more personal evangelism evangelists, we must reestablish church-based evangelism training programs. Now in just a moment, I want to talk more about uh, what it means to have an effective church-based evangelism training program. But before I do that, I want to go back and just mention an additional word about Keith. When Keith came up and confronted me after the sermon, he did not do it in a mean spirited or a malicious way. This is one of the most committed Christians I've ever known and one of the most devoted churchmen that I've ever worked with. He simply said to me uh, uh, the truth that I needed to hear. Don't, don't preach about this if you're not going to teach me how to do it. Show me what to do, and I will put into practice the word of God as you're declaring it to me. That's what he was trying to communicate. Now, Keith has uh, these 30 years later, continued to be a leader in his church and broader than that in his area uh, of Missouri. And so when the uh, board of trustees for a trustee from Missouri was added to our board of trustees a few years ago, Keith was selected. And he's now come through the leadership of our board to be our board chairman. And so it's really been interesting to me how this story has come full circle of him, of he and I working together in a church years ago, and now he and I working together at the seminary. Now, I want to do a little aside here or continue this aside and talk about something else before I get back to the main point. After I spoke this message, Keith came up to me and said, Jeff, I, I don't doubt that I said that to you, but I don't ever remember saying that to you. And I smiled and said, oh, Keith, you, you may not remember, but you really did say it. He said, well, I, I, it must have just been a spur-of-the-moment thing that I wanted to get off my chest because I don't really remember making uh, that big of a deal out of it. And I said, you know, Keith, that's interesting because oftentimes uh, God uses things we say in ways we could have never anticipated even when we don't remember being a part of the conversation. Now, this happened to me a few years ago, and I want to illustrate it and then make a point about it. I was speaking at a Christian university, uh, probably a 1,000 students in the chapel that day, and a person was charged with introducing me. Now, I'd known this person for a number of years, and so he stood up to introduce me, and he said something like this. I could introduce Jeff Orge by telling you about his writing or his speaking or his uh, denominational or seminary leadership, but I'd rather make it more personal today. He said, a number of years ago, uh, I went to the Northwest Baptist Convention where Dr. Orge was the executive director. I arrived early on Monday. He saw me, we struck up a conversation, he could tell that I was troubled, and so he invited me to have lunch with him. And over that lunch, I poured out my frustrations, my discouragement, and he uh, talked with me and gave me some, some, uh, some suggestions, uh, some strategies I could put into place, some ways to handle the feelings I was dealing with. What he didn't know was that I had told my wife that morning, I'm going to the convention, and, and when I come home, unless something happens, I'm just gonna resign from being a pastor because I, I just can't do this anymore. And he said, that lunch meeting saved my ministry, and it's the reason that I'm still in ministry today and that I'm standing here before you, and so I'd like to introduce to you my friend Jeff Orge. Well, after that, I said to my wife, you know, he has no reason to make up a story like that, but I have no memory of that luncheon. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen or that it doesn't mean it wasn't significant. It just means that in the moment, it was just the right thing to do. It was the natural thing to do. It was the next thing to do. And so I want to underscore from Keith's experience and my experience this reality. A lot of times God uses us in ways we could have never anticipated or imagined. God uses us to say a word of encouragement or a word of direction or a word that helps a person uh, sort through some issue that we could have never imagined how significant it was what we were saying. And so I want to encourage you today to recognize that God is at work in your life. He's at work through you in the lives of other people, and he can use what you say and how you say it in ways you may have never imagined. And so don't dismiss or belittle the casual conversation, the on the way ministry, uh, the, 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 the opportunity you have to find a person in a discouraging situation and just say something positive to them. Don't underestimate these opportunities because you just simply never know how God might use them. So now back to the main subject. Uh, I've said that a lack of commitment to training personal evangelists is one of the reasons for the decline in baptisms and the decline in evangelistic effectiveness in our convention. And I've illustrated how powerfully uh, this worked in my church when I was a pastor because of the changing of my strategy from preaching and modeling to preaching, modeling, and training people to work with me. So now with that in mind. Uh, let me uh, ask, an, or let me ask and answer an important question, and lay out some insight for you. First of all, well, which training program should you use? Well, whichever one you will actually use, that's the one you should use. I think it was Dale Moody or someone. I think it was him who said, "I like my evangelism method. I like the evangelism method I'm using better than the one you're not using." or something similar to that. So it really doesn't matter to me what evangelism training program you use. Uh, I'm not here to tell you that there's a certain one that's the end all be all and that if you'll just do that you'll solve all your training problems for the rest of time. Uh, That's not true. But I am suggesting that the most important evangelism training program, the most effective one, is the one you'll actually do. So, survey the landscape, look at the options, and choose one that fits your personality, fits the needs of your church, fits the spiritual maturity level of the people you're going to be training, fits the community where you're going to be taking the gospel. Find the right program and commit to it uh, as your evangelism training method. Now, let me also say there is no perfect evangelism training method. There's no one that you're going to do that's going to solve all your problems or take care of all your issues or meet all your needs but you can find something that will be really helpful and uh, really effective and you can stick with it uh, over time. Now, let's talk about the marks of a good evangelism training program. There are several of these. Number one, it must be reproducible. What I mean by that is a good evangelism training program is something you can do over and over and over again. Now, I know that people like to pick a program and do it for a month or six months or maybe even a year and then say, okay, we've done that one, now let's move on to the next one. I'm actually advocating pretty strongly that you not do that in the area of evangelism training. You need something that's reproducible, that you can do over and over again, and that you're not gonna get tired of in the short run, but that you're gonna have a commitment to it, which leads me to the second characteristic of a good evangelism training program, and that is that it has longevity. You're really not gonna change much if you just do evangelism training for one year. You need to make a multi-year, I would suggest a three to five year commitment to an evangelism training model and then commit to staying with it as a priority focus of your disciple making strategy for an extended period of time. Longevity uh, has a a number of of, uh, advantages to it but one of them is what I call the compounding interest of leadership development. You know, if you put a little bit of money away when you're 25, by the time you're 65 that's going to be an amazing amount of money because it's going to compound its interest over time and the gain will just, even though it's only 3, 2, 3, 4, 5% a year, the gain over a lifetime is going to be dramatic. Now, you can make that same application in leadership development or in disciple making, like, for example, evangelism training. When you train someone and you keep training and you train for year after, year after year, after year after year after year, what happens is there's a compounding effect of the impact that you make. So in the beginning you start small, but eventually you have many people training many people and the proliferation of the program and the proliferation of the knowledge base that you've, that you've developed really expands in ways that are fantastic. But again, you don't get there if you don't have something that's reproducible and that has longevity. A third mark is that it must be transferable. What I mean by this is this must be something that you can train another person, and then that person can train another person, and then that person can train another person. This is particularly uh, important as you're training lay people who have a limited amount of time uh, to devote to something like this. You have to find something that they can master in the amount of time they have given to them, and they can then implement and train others to do as they've been taught how to do it. Uh, it's, that, it's that idea that you only have to be one step ahead of the person you're training to be able to train them, but if, in terms of this being transferable, you do have to create, teach something that is not just for the person to learn, but for them to learn with a view toward them passing it on to another person. So reproducible, longevity, transferable. Those are three key words. Now, a fourth mark of a good evangelism training program is it has multiple ways for people to be involved. Now, of course, the most direct involvement is the trainer and the trainee, but there are other ways for people to be involved in an evangelism training program which give it more uh, breadth of impact and allow many more people to be involved and especially allow people to be involved at their level of comfort or accessibility. Let's face it, not everyone is equipped to go out and do street evangelism. Not everyone's equipped to do door-to-door evangelism. Not everyone's equipped to do tract evangelism. People really sometimes struggle with this, and it takes a good deal of training and spiritual maturity and personal development before they're actually going to become the witnesses that you want them to be. However, there are other people involved in supporting a witness training program that expand its influence, expand its its buy-in, if you will, and give more people a sense that they're a part of the evangelistic thrust or the evangelistic movement of a church. Now, what are some of those kind of people? Well, the first person is a prayer partner. In the evangelism training program that I used uh, when I was a pastor, every person in it was required to have a prayer partner. They had to recruit a person who would pray for them on a regular basis as they went through the training and particularly pray for them on the nights that we were out doing the practice witnessing and out trying to actually share the gospel with people. So the prayer partners are vital aspects of this program. And a prayer partner is a way for people who are not physically able to go out and share the gospel, who have uh, some other kind of maybe personal limitations or age issues. There's all kinds of reasons why people can't be involved in a team that's going out into the park or going door to door or going out uh, onto a college campus to share the gospel. But they can be invested in the process by being prayer partners. Uh, Another uh, person that can be on the team is childcare providers. Uh, These are people who step in and take care of the children of those who are actually involved in the training and who are actually going out and doing the witnessing and et cetera. And so finding child care providers is another way for people to get involved who aren't going to be actually on the witnessing teams. A third person that you can get involved is meal preparation. Now especially if you have a program that uh, is in an urban area, you may want to bring people together. Um, for an extended period of time where they can have a meal together do their training together and go out and do their practice witnessing together. So having that happen where you, you, you have extended drive times and other issues where you just don't really want to get people out and try to get them there for multiple times a week. If you're going to have them there for an extended time you're likely going to provide some kind of meal service. It doesn't need to be a fancy meal but just something that allows people to take their focus off food preparation and consumption for an evening and really put themselves more in tune with the training model that needs to be followed. And then of course you've got the people that are actually doing the training and actually doing the witness, the, the, uh, the witnessing. You've got the people who are actually involved most directly in the program. So there's uh, the trainers, the witnesses or the trainees, and then you've got uh, prayer partners, meal providers, childcare providers. These are the ways that people can be involved in really developing a comprehensive effort on a Sunday uh, excuse me, in a church ministry uh, to do witness training and witness preparation. And then the final mark of a good evangelism training program is recognition. Now what I mean by this is that you recognize when people come to faith in Christ, uh, the person who's received Christ, of course, you're going to recognize them publicly as they present themselves in a worship service, and certainly in the most public way possible, you're going to recognize them at their baptism. But... What I mean is beyond that. I think that, I, uh, that you should also recognize the people who were involved or who were instrumental in the person coming to faith in Christ. And, of course, that would mean the trainer, the witness, but it also might mean the prayer partners, the child care providers, the meal providers, people like that. Now, there's lots of ways to do this, but I'll just give you a couple suggestions. The first one of these is, of course, to make a person's baptism a celebration of all the people like this who've been involved. And you can do that, for example, by having people stand in the baptistry with them if they were instrumental in helping them come to faith in Jesus. You might also, depending on your church's uh, ecclesiology, you might also have the person who led them to faith in Jesus also baptize them. Now I'm a, a you know, free church traditional, uh, for, I'm, a, I'm from the free church tradition and I believe in the, secu- the uh, priesthood of believers and soul competency and so for me, Uh, Any baptized uh, church member in good standing can participate in or even be the baptizer, and so I would even go that far if your church ecclesiology permits it. So baptisms and participating in baptisms by at least uh, being present or being in the pool if it's baptism by immersion, which it, of course, should be, and then, of course, the other option is um, uh, just having people stand with the person who's being baptized. Now, beyond that, uh, there are other ways to recognize, and this is one of my favorite ones that I did when I was a pastor, and that is to have people who were instrumental in someone coming to faith in Jesus to stand and be recognized. And so, for example, let's say that a couple came forward and said that they were receiving Jesus and wanted to present themselves for baptism. I would celebrate that, and let's just say they're Bob and Sally, and I would say, this is Bob and Sally, and they've come forward today to tell us that they've confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and now they want to be uh, follow him in public baptism. Bef- and so I would say, now let's recognize some of you who've had a hand in helping them come to their decision. I said, if you've ever shared the gospel with Bob or Sally, would you please stand? And people would stand. And I'd say, if you have cared for their children in childcare here on Sunday while they attended Sunday school or worship services, would you please stand? More people would stand. Then I would say, if you uh, prepared meals or did child care uh, during the evenings when this couple, when we, people were out witnessing and sharing the gospel, that went to their house and talked to them about Jesus, would you please stand? And then I would say, if you're a prayer partner, if you have prayed by name for either the people who were out witnessing or for Bob and Sally themselves to come to faith in Jesus. Would you please stand? Now it was not uncommon when I would do this to have anywhere from five to 20 people standing uh, when we were recognizing. And then I would say, Bob and Sally are here today receiving Jesus Christ and giving a public profession of their faith in Him. All of you who are standing up had a hand in this and we salute all of you for being a part of the witnessing team that brought this couple to faith in Jesus. So there's two ways to give recognition uh, related to a good personal evangelism training program and process. Remember, your program needs to be reproducible, have longevity, be transferable, have multiple ways for people to participate, and then have uh, good recognition both of the people who receive Christ and also the people who have a hand in helping that to happen. Now. Well, earlier I said that it really doesn't matter to me where you, which program you choose, and I should have said more about that, and I'll go ahead and add it now. I really think that it's important for you to choose a pre-packaged or a already put-together evangelism training program rather than try to write your own. Now, you may say, yes, but I'm super creative, and I know my situation better than anyone else, and I, I can come up with something on my own. Well, you may very well be able to do that, but it's not likely that you're going to come up with something that's going to have the strength of a program that you might uh, purchase or bring in from the outside. Here are five values then of bringing in an outside evangelism program that you would select that would fit well in your context. Number one, it's been field tested by other churches. Most evangelism training programs uh, are franchised because they've been very effective among a small number of churches. It doesn't work the opposite way. People don't create an idea, develop a product, and start selling it to everyone, and then try to convince them to use it. It usually starts out the other way, where there's a church that really develops a program and and starts to use it, and it starts to expand, and then others start copying it, and pretty soon the denomination comes along and says, let's use this and franchise it for everyone. The current A three circles approach being used by Southern Baptists happened just this way. This wasn't a denominational initiative. This was one church with one pastor who created this training model, started teaching it in their church, and then it started spreading and now it's spreading really like wildfire as church after church after church adopts this model. You say, yeah, but somebody had to create it and that somebody did create it and you might be that creative person who's going to make the next one, but let's get real here. Most of us are not that creative that we can create a program that will become a national movement. So you're better off, I think, to use someone else's field-tested approach that other churches have proven to be effective. A second reason that I like going that direction is because training and training assistance and best practices adjustments are already available and have already been worked into the process. This is so helpful to be able to get help from the outside to strengthen your training and to strengthen the program you're doing. Third, uh, these outside programs are usually cheaper and have higher quality resources than anything you're going to produce on your own. Uh, they've been field tested and sharpened and, uh, and pr- produced in such uh, a way that the bugs have been eliminated, the negative has been taken out, and what's left is really a very strong, clean a definitive kind of product and so i encourage you that you cannot probably you can't do it cheaper or with higher quality not that combination anyway by using your own material and then finally or fourth uh, you get what's called promotional synergy with other churches in the denomination for example i'm uh there's a movement among southern baptists right now called who's your one and I'm preaching at a Chinese church in a couple of weeks and they asked me to preach on the theme, who's your one? I'm going across the country the next weekend and preach at a state conference uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the upper Midwest. And they're, they've asked me to preach on what? Who's your one? So this synergy of promotion where people are talking about the same thing does help to undergird a local evangelism training program. And then finally, the value of using an outside program like this is you get to be part of something big. People like being part of a big movement or a big thing. That's how you can explain college football. Uh, You know, 100,000 people show up at a stadium, but many, many more than that are part of Duck Nation or Bulldog Nation or Buckeye Nation or, or Roll Tide Nation or whatever they call it in Alabama. I know they just call it Champion Nation, but that's another subject. So being part of something big, people like that. And so when they see that they're a part of a movement that has national re- uh, 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 a reputation or is resonating nationally, that gives them a greater momentum to be a part of the process locally. So um, choose a program that has, I think, outside uh, support and development and that's been field tested, has training assistance, is cheaper with higher quality resources, that has promotional synergy and helps people be part of something big. Now, last thing I wanna say is this. Inspiration to do evangelism is significant, but training is equally significant. In my early ministry, I made the mistake of putting too much emphasis on the first and not enough emphasis on the latter. Training and inspiration have to go together. Remember this, inspiration without training leads to frustration. People are motivated but don't know how to channel that motivation to doing something productive. On the other hand, training without inspiration leads to burnout. When you're training, 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 doing, 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 and there's no sense of purpose or mission or destiny, that leads to burnout. But if you can bring these two things together, inspiration and training, you will have locked together the two key aspects of what it means to have a meaningful evangelism uh, emphasis, meaning evangelism program, and a meaningful evangelistic impact through your church. So, one of the reasons for the decline in baptisms today is the decline in personal evangelism training in local churches. I'm advocating that we reclaim it. Not that we go back and pick up any old program from the past, but that we look at the current options available to us Choose an evangelism training program. Make a multi-year commitment to staying with it and developing people over time. Find ways to involve many people in it and then find ways to recognize their contribution along the way. May God help you do this as you lead on.